It, is it good morning? My name is Lois and I'm going to do the reading, um, the Bible reading today. There are two readings. The first one is from Genesis 11. And in the early chapters of the Bible, we hear how the people of the world unite to build a huge tower, the Tower of Babel. So that's Genesis 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The second Bible reading is from Ephesians 4 in the New Testament. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul calls on Christians to live out in the unity we have through Jesus Christ. So that's Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching 
and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thank you, Lois. Hey, you can all hear me with my mask on even. So better let me take it off. Um, so uh, we, sadly, we had to turn a few people away today. We just got to a, a, a maximum capacity. But our God willing, next week, uh, things will ease. right? And uh, we'll all be able to more freely uh, gather here. Uh, so we're hoping next Sunday will be a return to gathering um, yeah, but at the moment we've uh, got these restrictions of 100 people, so we're kind of monitoring that at the moment. Uh, so good to have all those uh, joining us on the live stream as well. Over the past few weeks, um, if you've been with us, you would have uh, noticed we're going through this series, Imagine. Um, so normally we look at the Bible, and we have been looking at the Bible over the last few weeks, but we've let um, John Lennon's song, which is 50 years old, uh, this year, and we've let it sort of shape some of the themes we've been addressing to see what Jesus has to say about it. Uh, and so we, we saw the first verse a couple of few weeks ago, imagine there's no heaven, no hell below us, above us only sky. Uh, imagine there's no religion or war, imagine a world at peace. And last week, imagine no possessions, no greed, no hunger, sharing all the world. Uh, and you might think, well, they're the only three verses of the song, and that's true, uh, but there's a chorus as well, and so we come to the chorus today. Would you like me to sing it? Well, whether or not you do, I'm going to have a go. This is my last opportunity for performance. So, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and the world will be as one. Oh, oh. <clears throat> All right, so now, the, thank you, you really put up with me. Uh, the, the chorus is about a united world, isn't it? A world that is called together as one, and it's a beautiful dream. Imagine a world where people were united, not divided, and yet that imagination, that dream of John Lennon is so far from reality, isn't it? Uh, you think about the United States, and it's a bit ironic calling America the United States at the moment, isn't it? Because it's just been so divided uh, by politics uh, and hate recently. Even Australia struggles to be united. So we've got Australia Day in two days' time. And the big question is, is this a day to celebrate or a day to mourn? Is it Australia Day or Invasion Day? Should we celebrate the birth of a nation or the dispossession of a people? Uh, our national anthem has just changed in the last few weeks. The version we all grew up with, for we are young and free, implies a young nation. Uh, but what does that mean for the indigenous peoples of Australia who have been here for thousands of years? To sing, we are young and free, is a reminder of the shameful disregard that has been directed towards Indigenous Australians for the last 200 years. So we've changed the words to, we are one and free. 
And I'm happy with that. I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. But clearly, a name change alone can't bring about unity. It may be a symbolic step in the right direction, but you know what I'm saying? A name change alone uh, cannot create unity. Even here in Australia, we still struggle to live as one in our nation for a whole bunch of reasons, but then you look globally and you just think, wow, how far is our world from enjoying any sense of unity? with such deep division and hatred and racism that is just rife. Now, today we come to consider what difference does Jesus make uh, to the racism, to the divisions uh, that exist in our world? How does Jesus create a united world? Uh, and so we're going to get there, but I want to take a little bit of a, a, a bigger journey to begin with. I want to go back to the start of the Bible, what I've called unity in creation, and I put on the screen there, when God first creates humanity, God said, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So right from the beginning, God created every human being in his image with a common dignity uh, and a quality of being in the image of God. No matter what race we're from, no matter what gender, no matter how young a baby or how young, uh, how old we get, uh, we are all created with a common dignity in the image of God that sets us apart from the rest uh, of the creation. Uh, so we're united by a common dignity, but we're also united by a common purpose. And the common purpose is to rule the world, to subdue it, to fill the world. Um, and over the past 2,000 years... Since the coming of Jesus, Christians have been at the forefront of overcoming human divisions, whether it's racism or sexism or prejudice. Uh, Christianity has been at the forefront, uh, you know, whether it's civil rights movement in America, the abolition of slavery. Christians have lobbied for change on the basis that our creator God made us equal and we all carry that dignity of being made in the image of God. Even here in Australia, Christians have been at the forefront of Aboriginal rights. Now, I want to um, tell you about a book I've been reading. It's called One Blood and the subtitle is 200 Years of Aboriginal Encounter with Christianity, A Story of Hope. Uh, and the, the title, One Blood, is picking up on Acts chapter 17. And Acts chapter 17 talks about how we're created from one blood. Uh, you know, all the way back to Adam, made in the image of God, all of us are in the image of God with a common descent. Um, and this is a comprehensive book, over a thousand pages. 
Uh, so it's not light reading, but uh, he's done interviews, he's done TV, uh, sorry, sorry, newspaper clippings, journal uh, information and so on. And the book doesn't hold back from giving examples where Christians got it wrong. Um, but on the whole, Christians have been at the forefront of making friends and defending the rights of Indigenous Australians. I want to give you one example now, and I'll give you one other example at the end of the talk. Okay, so first example, let me take you back to 1865. So by the year 1865, this is 80 years after the first fleet, after white settlement, the population of Aboriginal Australians had plummeted to being one in five what it was 80 years earlier. Like just an, a wholesale, almost, uh, almost made the Indigenous population of Australia extinct. Now the president of the prestigious Ethnological Society of London wrote in its journal in 1865, so 1865, in talking about Aboriginal Australians, in mixing with them, we feel doubtful whether we have to do with intelligent monkeys or with very much degraded man. Uh, and this was a kind of a consensus amongst kind of academia. Charles Darwin's theory of evolution had been published just a few years earlier. And this is what the author of One Blood says. The scientific community came to the almost unanimous conclusion that evolutionary theory, based on the survival of the fittest, demanded that the Aboriginal race was doomed to extinction. And it was kind of like a foregone conclusion. Uh, and it's just kind of nature playing its course. But Christians throughout Australia uh, and Christian missionaries and so on had a very different opinion because we believe that God made us in his image, one blood. Uh, and so in that same year, 1865, a Christian couple named Daniel and Janet Matthews bought some land on the Murray River and they named it Maloga. Uh, and they dedicated the land uh, to be a place of sanctuary for Aboriginal people to come uh, and to find a home where they could be safe, where they could prosper, where they could be educated. Uh, and Daniel Matthews and his wife spent their lives making friends with Aboriginal people, sharing the good news of Jesus with them and defending their rights on the basis that we are one blood. And they were... Uh, there weren't many voices speaking on behalf of the Aboriginal people back then, uh, but made in the image of the one creator God. Uh, and this is what Daniel Matthews said, who inevitably doomed them? Not the creator. He never brought a race into existence merely to blot them out. They have valid claims on the government of these colonies, and the only compensation received for the loss of their land has been a blanket annually presented to each by the state. Uh, and here is Daniel Matthews uh, speaking against the flood of opinion at his time on the basis of us being created in the image of God, defending uh, the rights of Indigenous Australians. Uh, now I've got another story to share with you that picks up from there, but I'll come back to that at the end. Um, in these early, going back to the early chapters of Genesis, 
we don't only see a unity in creation, but there's a unity in rebellion as well. And it doesn't take long. So the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, created for this one flesh relationship, they actually unite in rebellion against the God who made them. Uh, they conspire together to doubt the word of God, to disobey the word of God, and to chart their own destiny independent from God. And at one level, there's an alliance in their rebellion, isn't there? They're kind of drawn together, kind of against God. But it's a strange type of unity because it brings them together on the one hand, but at the same time, it drove them apart. And so they all of a sudden felt shame and fear, uh, fearing each other. How can I trust this person anymore? Feeling vulnerable, they had to now cover up when before they were naked uh, and felt no shame. But that unity in rebellion that started back then kind of reaches a climax in Genesis chapter 11. Um, so if you turn to Genesis 11 in your Bibles, pick up in verse 1. The whole world had one language and a common speech. You see there's a unity, one language, a common speech. They also have a common purpose. Look at the purpose there. Is it verse 4 or 5? Verse 4, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, this is a very different purpose from their God-given purpose back in Genesis 1. This is humanity, mankind uniting to create their own significance in rivalry to God. Let's build a, a tower out of brick that stretches into the heavens. But notice verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. There's a little bit of irony there, isn't there? We're, we're building this tower that reaches to the heavens, and God's like, what are they doing down there? Uh, so far down, and so God comes down to see their puny attempts at kind of overthrowing him. Here is a united humanity thinking they can rival God, and at this point, God scatters them and confuses their language. And the point is, not every attempt at unity is a good thing. There are some human endeavours where people come together and enjoy some sense of unity in a cause, but it's a godless project, and they actually find themselves in rebellion against the God who created them. And I reckon John Lennon's song advocates that sort of unity, a unity in rebellion, because he sets it up very clearly from the front. Imagine there's no heaven, no hell, no religion, no God. Like, let's just put all those things aside and create our own utopia, uh, our own united world without anything to do with our creator. And like the Tower of Babel, godless unity is destined to fail. And that's because we have a creator who will frustrate those attempts at unity time and time again. Now, this is the world Jesus stepped into 2,000 years ago. And he felt the brunt of godless unity 
when, you know, after living a life of such good deeds, the religious leaders of the day conspired together with Herod, the king of the Jews, conspired together with Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, who drew his soldiers in, and then the crowd was turned. The crowd who flocked to Jesus one day to listen, to watch his miracles. This crowd had been turned, and now in unison they cry out, crucify, crucify. And you just think, wow, there was, it was a consensus. This man deserves to die. But if you had oppressed the people in the crowd, I don't even think they would have known why. Uh, they, were just, they were caught up in the moment. Uh, and they conspire to condemn the Son of God and crucify him cruelly on a cross. But God raised him from the dead. And it was like a warning, a declaration from God, my purposes will stand. Uh, my purposes cannot be overthrown. My son will reign into eternity. Uh, it's almost like a warning. If you, unless you align yourself with the son, you will come under my judgment. And so now there is a new power for unity that is found in Jesus. So if you read the New Testament, this theme of unity is just everywhere. You know, you're all one in Christ Jesus. You know, whatever nation, gender, socioeconomic background, all one in Christ Jesus. I just want to spend a few minutes exploring this theme and the difference Jesus makes from the book of Ephesians uh, that Lois read from. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, particularly Jew and Gentile here, but made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross." Uh, Jesus' unifying work on the cross is extraordinary, uniting us to each other and to the God who made us. Now, in the last couple of days, there's been a series of murals that have gone up throughout Australia. Have you seen these? Uh, so um, this is one of them. Uh, and the murals depict our state premiers who have been going head-to-head, -head, kind of coming together sharing the lamb, right? And so it's the, you know, it's the sort of lamb ad. Um, so there's Anastasia and, uh, and, and Gladys and so on. Uh, and it comes off the back of the funny TV ad. Have you seen this, the lamb ad on TV? Um, it begins with a divided Australia. You know, see the New South Wales wall there, dividing New South Wales from Queensland. Or then you've got the one, you know, splitting Albury Wodonga in two down at the Victorian border. Uh, you know, and, and so, so that's the scene, an Australia that has become divided uh, in the age of coronavirus and so on. Um, but Lamb, Lamb has the power to break down walls and unite people. Uh, and so that's what it does. So Lamb brings people together, a united states of Australia you have by the end of the ad. Um, 
Now, back in Jesus' time, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem was basically a series of walls. I've tried to capture it in this, in this picture here. So can you just see all the walls? Just concentric layers of walls. Barriers to exclude people. There was a wall to exclude the Gentiles, to exclude women, to exclude anyone who was sick or unclean or in some way. Uh, there was a wall to exclude everyone except the priests. And even then, there was walls inside that wall and ultimately, there was this curtain separating everyone from the presence of God. Um, what has the power to break down all those walls of exclusion? Uh, it is not the power of Aussie lamb. Uh, it is the power of the lamb of God. Hey? Uh, uh, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, and that's the, the great theme of Ephesians, but so much of the New Testament, is that when Jesus came and died on the cross, he cleansed us of our sin, and sin is the, is the big thing that creates barriers, creates barriers between people, but also between people and God. And those walls are broken down through the reconciling work of Jesus on the cross. And so Jesus with all those who put their faith in him, creates a new humanity. Uh, and I just want to chase you through a few of the implications that flow. So if you keep reading the book of Ephesians, um, which you're welcome to go home and do after today, but firstly, Jesus has made us one, so live like it. Right? Live it out. Be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you called it, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. So the point is, Jesus has made a profound unity in our world. He's united us profoundly, so now we are obliged to live it out to express that in the way we relate to one another. And so I want to ask, is there anything, brothers and sisters, is there anything in your life that is hindering you being united to your other brothers and sisters in Christ? Is there any division that has got in the way? Um, Jesus is calling on you to take action, to be patient, not judgmental, to be gentle, uh, it's going to be hard sometimes. Uh, it will be hard breaking down walls of division, creating harmony. That will be hard, but Jesus is calling on you to do it, um, to not be nitpicky and gossipy and grumbly. Look at that phrase, make every effort. Right? This is not something that will come about just by sitting down, you know, judging others, this will come through your determined effort to unite uh, and to reconcile and to forgive. Secondly, Jesus has made us different for the purpose of unity. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we've been united, but we're called to build unity at the same time. And Jesus has made us different, right? We've all got different backgrounds and skills and abilities and all that sort of thing, but they're deliberately given so that we all have a part to play where we can all work together to build one another up as a whole united people of God. Um, So how are you using the gifts that Jesus has given you to build your brothers and sisters? We all play a part. And thirdly, unity involves speaking the truth in love. He says, look, once we're united, we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So, you know, there is false teaching in our world that can easily lead us astray. But instead... Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is head, that is Christ. And it says every part does its work. But I love that little phrase, speaking the truth in love. Um, truth and love. You've got you to keep both of them at the same time. Some people are utterly committed to the truth, and we Christians ought to be utterly committed to the truth. But, but that doesn't exempt us from the obligation to love. And so sometimes truth can be spoken in a way that hurts unnecessarily. And so we've got to speak the truth in love. But sometimes in love, we can pull back from the truth, can't we? Sometimes we feel like, oh, if I told them the truth, it might hurt them or it might, might create a division. And so we, sometimes we can be tempted to compromise the truth. And what Paul's saying is, Truth and love, hold them together. Don't compromise either in the way we relate to one another. That is what will build us up, um, unite us in maturity. So John Lennon imagines a world united, standing together as one. In the end, I think he is advocating a unity in rebellion to the God who made us. Into our divided world, Jesus steps with another vision, a vision to create a new, united humanity. Uh, And he does it through his death on the cross, dealing with our sin, breaking down every barrier. He does it through his resurrection and then pouring out his spirit so that now we are called to live it out to express that unity, to use the gifts he's given us to build one another up. So make sure you're part of this united humanity through the Lord Jesus and make sure you're playing your part in building the body. Uh, We're not going to be perfect now. We're still awaiting the perfection in the future, but we're called to make every effort uh, right here and now. Now, I want to finish with an awesome example of the difference Jesus makes. Um, And earlier I talked about Daniel and Janet Matthews and the Maloga uh, Aboriginal settlement uh, on the Murray River. Um, One of the Aboriginal men who went and lived with Daniel Matthews uh, and, you know, 
was educated there at Maloga and so on, was a man named William Cooper. Uh, in December 1938, in the months before the outbreak of World War II, William Cooper organised a protest march. He had heard about Kristallnacht in Germany. Uh, he had heard about the killing and imprisonment of thousands of Jews. Thousands of Jews killed, tens of thousands imprisoned in Germany. And this 78-year-old Aboriginal man gathered together a bunch of Indigenous Christians to march on the German consulate in Melbourne and to call on them to stop their racism towards the Jewish people. Um, Jews throughout the world have recognised William Cooper's courage and compassion. According to the Jewish Holocaust Centre in Israel, William Cooper's protest was the only one of its kind throughout the world. As a Christian, he was not only concerned for Aboriginal rights, but the welfare of people from every nation. Uh, around the same time, he started Aborigines Sunday uh, to be held on the closest Sunday to Australia Day, which in this year is this Sunday. Um, Aborigines Sunday was later moved to July, and it's now known as NAIDOC Week. Uh, and we said, but he, he originally started it as Aborigines Sunday, and the cathedral in Sydney was kind of the the launch pad for it. But listen to William Cooper's original vision for what would become NAIDOC Week. We request that sermons be preached on this day, dealing with the Aboriginal people and their need for the gospel and for their response to it. And we ask that special prayer be invoked for all missionary effort for the uplift of the dark people. So he was an Aboriginal man who loved his people who defended their rights, but who also knew that the most important thing for his own people was to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, and I want to say that in our divided world where there are griefs and hurts that seem intractable, uh, Jesus brings a power for unity amongst the divisions of our world like none other. Uh, and it's already happening in our world, and he will bring it to a final conclusion on the day he comes again. How about a lead us in prayer? God, our Father, we are grieved as we consider the hurts and injustices, the prejudice, the racism, the hate that has gone down throughout the history of our world, even the history of our own nation. Uh, Father, it has created deep division uh, and hurts that are, that are not easily dealt with. Father, we want to thank you so much that Jesus has stepped into this world, your son, that he endured the hate, uh, that he endured even the unjust crucifixion, so that by his death, we could be cleansed of our sin, that he died in our place. Thank you that you raised him again from the dead uh, so that he could be the ruler of a new humanity. Thank you that he pours out his spirit on us even now. 
uniting us to you, but also stirring our hearts, empowering us to love. And Father, we do pray that each one of us will make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, that we'll each play our part in uniting one another, but also into reaching out into this region with the good news of Jesus. We pray that we will speak the truth of the message of Jesus with love. And we pray that you'll continue to gather more and more people from this region, from throughout our world, to be part of that eternal kingdom of Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Thanks, Dave. We're going to join together for our last song. We're going to sing or hum or not sing, Let Your Kingdom Come, reminding you at home that you can. Uh, A song that talks about the world in unity through Christ alone. So please stand as the band leads us.